facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to the show, and I'm so glad you've joined me and my guest, who I'll introduce in just a moment. Want to give out the digits right now, 888-914-9149. That's the line to call me toll-free to talk to my guest if you have a question. 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale, at relevantradio.com. That's the way to become a shadow producer of the show. If you've got a story, potential guest, an idea for the show, I'd love to hear from you guys, Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. And you can find me on Twitter, slash X, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark, with an E. Well, we are all on a spiritual journey, whether we realize it or not, from the very moment of our conception to our definitive meeting with Jesus Christ. And my guest today is on that journey, and Lord willing, she will come into full communion with the Catholic Church this coming Easter. She's a popular YouTube podcaster. She's a mother. She's a grandmother and a wife. You might have heard of her husband. He's a guy by the name of Dr. Jordan Peterson. Tammy Peterson is my guest on the Kale Clark Show today. Tammy, thank you for taking the time today. You're joining me from your home in Toronto, and I know that you're a little bit under the weather today, so I really appreciate you doing this. Hi, Kale. It's good to be here. It's uh, something for me to do. Uh, I'm on my own here, so now I'm with you, and it's very good. Oh, hey, well, I'm happy to keep you company and, and millions of listeners around the world. So you're definitely not yeah. alone, that's for sure, today. No. And, and uh, I'm so glad to, to have you on the program, Tammy. And whenever I have a, a guest on the show, I, I like to ask them, first of all, about what I like to call their superhero origin story, where you were born. Uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing and, and especially about the faith background, if there was any, in your family history. Okay, well, I was born in northern Alberta. 400 miles north of Edmonton in a little place called Fairview. There were about 2,000 residents in Fairview. My dad worked on the Northern Alberta Railway, which is now Mm. closed. Um, We were in one of the most northern places, and my dad was a relief agent, so he moved around until he had four kids, and then he decided I think it was time to settle down in one place, and I was the last one, and so we settled in Fairview, and... The railway closed, and he took up a, an insurance and real estate business, hmm. and we settled right in there. So, um, yeah, I was the last of four. And as a little kid, uh, I went to the United Church of Canada, okay. and I went to, sometimes in the summer, I would go to Bible camp, and I really enjoyed, you know, those little things that kids do, color, yeah. coloring <laughs> religious coloring books and playing with other kids and learning the stories of the Bible. And I did that pretty much. I went every Sunday until I was about 12. But by the time I was 12, my brother left home when I was nine. My sister left home when I was 10. And then my other sister left home when I was 12. And when they left home, they went 400 miles away. And so I was really at home with my parents. And my parents didn't go to church Mm. Uh, my grandmother on my mom's side, right until she you know, could make it to church, she sung in the choir at the United Church. And my dad's mom played the organ in the United Church in her little town that she grew up. So there was faith in my family for sure. And there was definitely spirituality. My, my grandmother on my mom's side was a 
philosophical person, and so hmm. she was, uh, and she and she listened, she talked to us about all the things that she thought about, and I think that was uh, pretty good. Now I had a godmother that was my mum's older sister, and uh, she was a school teacher. She taught me. She she introduced me to yoga when I was thirteen, and that seemed like a good fit for me because I was a very active kid. I did all kinds of sports, and this was a, a physical practice, although there mm -hmm. were spiritual components, yeah. but of course mm -hmm. it was not my religion, so I did my best to practice this with the little understanding that I had of, of the religion behind it, but I did do it. I practiced yoga every day until I was about 26 years old. Wow. And uh, I went to university. Uh, I took a kinesiology degree. I wanted to see whether yoga would be something that I could blend with my education. Hmm. And I did. I became a massage therapist. So I spent a lot of time listening to people yeah. in, your, in my practice. You oh, know, it was <laughs> just me and someone else. And, and you don't say much when you're a massage therapist. You listen. <laughs> Well, and that was good practice for me. I think that I really learned to listen, though. When my mother was diagnosed with dementia when I was, oh. let's see, how old was she? So it was 2002. Um, I was probably, so I was born in 61. So I was in my 40s. And uh, my oldest sister was in her late 40s. And we diagnosed my mom with prefrontal dementia that year. Mm. She'd been showing signs of what we thought was was depression or agoraphobia, a fear of going outside. We didn't know what was going. So uh, Jordan and I took her to the university and gave her some cognitive tests. And sure enough, that's, that's what she had. And then he gave us all those tests. And we found out my oldest sister had the early, early signs early of dementia at 49 years old. Wow. Oh <laughs> and my, my sister and I, um, my sister was a pharmacist. She trained as a pharmacist. She lived in northern Alberta, close to where I was. And she was seven years older than me. So when she came home from university, I was still a high school student. And uh, her fiancé died in a car crash. And that was just so tragic. And I was 13 and very idealistic. And I thought that they were Romeo and Juliet. You know, I... Oh. I was living that dream through my sister, mm -hmm. and then her boyfriend died, and that was that was so hard on her. I don't think that she ever really recovered from that, the poor thing. But it, I only say that, I only talk about that, because at that meeting with my mom, having mom diagnosed and now knowing my sister was going down the same path, I said to Jordan, what can I do so that my relationship with my sister is something, is the best it can be. Mm -hmm. And he said, the best thing you can do is listen. So I set on a path of just listening and not saying anything. And I think I'd probably been somewhat opinionated before that, which had gotten me into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that weekend I didn't get into any trouble because I was listening. And I thought, huh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's amazing. Uh, my, we had a guest on the program on, on All Saints Day, Cardinal Thomas Collins. I'm not sure if you've ever met him before, but you probably not, have. No, I haven't. 
Oh, okay. He's uh, obviously Archbishop Emeritus of Toronto, and he, he, he always has these witticisms that he puts oh. in his homilies, and, and one yeah. of the things mm-hmm. that he says all the time is that, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Maybe he wants us to mm. listen twice as much as we speak. Just maybe. But, yeah, but, it's a but, sign, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, absolutely. And one of, the, one of the, the, speaking of listening, I know somebody that was very important for you in your life in terms of, as you mentioned, your parents didn't necessarily uh, partake after a little while in religion. But, but tell me about your great-grandmother, who was Polish. Mm-hmm. You, tell, tell me a little bit about her and her impact on you. Okay. Grandma Kowalski. She lived to be about 104. Wow. So, I, yeah, she was, I knew her, but I only remember her, really, once she was in the nursing home. Uh, but I did meet her, and I do remember her. Uh, her husband, Joseph, uh, came from Poland and met her in in the United States. Okay. I believe in uh, North Dakota, but I think it might have been North Carolina. Anyway, somewhere in northern United States, mm-hmm. and uh, they moved to Alberta as homestead, um, homesteaders, as lots of people did at that time. Uh, they were farmers, and my my grand my great grandfather Joseph he was a he was a slave. He was a Slav. He was working under a landowner. And uh, one of his friends spoke out of line one day, and he and his friend didn't think that was going to go very well. So they took off in the night and came to North America and gave us our freedom. So he was quite a man on his own. But my, but my grandmother, and I didn't know this, she was, she was Catholic. They were Catholic. They were Polish, they were Catholic, Catholics in Poland. Uh, but my grandmother changed our religion to Protestant when she was a young woman. As I said, she was a deep thinker, mm-hmm. and she probably got herself entangled in feminism and the uh, the narrative that goes along with feminism and saw that, I guess she wanted to put herself in a position of authority. And so she made a decision and she changed our religion. Now, I didn't find that out until I had been sick, uh, very sick. And when I got better, my cousin said she was going to send me something and she sent me my great-grandmother's rosary. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that in a minute. This the very devastating news and illness that you received in 2015. That and and I did hear about that. Your cousin sent you your great grandmother's rosary by mail, and when you came home yeah. from the hospital, you you found that that package. My guest today on the Kale Clark Show is Tammy Peterson, and let me let me ask you this, Tammy. Obviously, your husband Jordan also from Alberta. How old were you when you met? Uh, I was eight years old. He was probably seven years old. He's a year younger than I am. So in this small town of Fairview, you knew each other all, all the way through childhood. Oh, yeah. And we went to school. We were in the same classrooms at school. And, and, and we played outside. We were, we were good friends. Yeah, that's amazing that you've known each other virtually all, all your lives. And, and, yeah. and, and as, you're, as you're getting a little bit older, what, there, was a, there was a piece that came out in the Catholic Register in Canada, which is not the same thing as the Catholic Register in the United States. It's a publication out of Toronto. A uh, great piece about you written by Sheila Nonato, and she mentioned something that happened to you when you were 17 years old. You're working at a community pool. I don't know, were you a lifeguard at the time? I was a lifeguard, and I was supervising the swimming pool for the summer. And, and something happened there, and, and it kind of 
made you a little bit cynical a little bit. T- tell me about what oh, happened sure. exactly. It ma- I think it did. And I've only reflected on that m- recently and realized that I've probably carried that through my life. So when I was 14, I started to go to the swimming pool in a uh, in an assistant uh, mm-hmm. position. When I was 16, I was hired as a lifeguard. And when I was 17, I went as the supervisor of the pool. And so my sisters and my brother had all been lifeguards. And so I had, it seemed like the right thing to do. And we used to have the school kids come Mm -hmm. from the public school for a swim. And I had set up the pool so that I had divided off the shallow end in three sections. So I would have 10 kids in each section because there's 30 kids in a class. And when they got there and jumped in, it turned out they were grade ones and they were too short for the pool. And there's a real chance they could drown. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking at these kids and I would see their little. So when, when kids, when people don't know how to swim, if they're in water that's too deep, they don't splash around because they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They just stand under the water and look at you. Oh, and man. so there's these little oh, kids looking at me and <laughs> I'm getting my lifeguards to be plucking them out of the pool. And I didn't have any catastrophes that day, but I went to the town council and I said, well, first of all, I talked to the school teachers and I said, could you please have a parent or a teacher in the water with each each of these 10 kids and then I'll have an easier time uh, making sure everybody's safe. And they came back the next week to swim and they didn't bring anybody with them. And I thought, well, I'm not doing that again. It was just too dangerous. And so I didn't let them in the pool. And the town council wasn't very pleased with me that I'd turned away the school kids and that's pretty amazing. I think that's that's pretty amazing for a 17-year-old to make that call and say, you know what, this isn't safe, and I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not letting these kids in. You took matters into your own hands. Yeah, I guess I did. Uh, you know, I was, I was shocked, though, because when I went to the town council, they were wanting me to run it the way they wanted to. And I said, I'll run it the way you want me to, but you have to write it down and sign it. And they said, oh, we couldn't do that. You would drown a kid. To spite us, and I thought, <sighs> well, wow, well, I don't know, uh, and that I I could have gone back to work and continued to run it the way I wanted, but I was very young and inexperienced, so I quit. I decided that that wasn't a job mm-hmm. for me, but that experience was uh, it really uh, jaded my thought about uh, adults, mm-hmm. about people in authority. Uh, the the town mayor was one of the people that was telling me to work in a way that was not going to work for me. And so then it jaded my association with politicians, mm-hmm. you know, so there, and so it was just this one small experience, yeah. but you know, my sister getting back to my sister for a minute, her boyfriend died when I was 13, she was 21 that weekend that I listened to her and listened and listened for three days at the end of that weekend, we went out to dinner and she sat across from me and told me all the things that I had done in my life were not mine, that my parents had done everything for me and that I was 
I had been taken care of completely and you know I that that just that just wasn't true mm. so I listened but I didn't say anything and at the end of her talking about me this way she said you know you're a really good mother and I thought wow what was that hmm. and what that was was her saying something that she'd been thinking ever since she was 21 years old and I had never listened well enough to hear it and so she had never said it but as soon as she said it she knew that it wasn't accurate and then our relationship for 20 years was great hmm. well it, it's interesting my guess is tammy peterson you're listening to the kale clark show on on relevant radio triple eight nine one four nine one four nine if you have a question for tammy call in Speaking of, of listening, I think one of the things that we need to do in life, and, you, and you've spoken very eloquently about how you, how you learned to listen as a young person and in your profession, did a lot of listening and maybe was a, an unwitting counselor to many people as, as a massage therapist, and, and they're telling you maybe all their problems. One of the things that, that happens to us in life is that God speaks to us through the events of our lives, and sometimes we don't exactly know that it's God speaking, but... I want to fast forward. We can come back to, to, to more of this later, but I wanted to fast forward a little bit, Tammy, to the year 2015, actually a lot further ahead, 2015, because in that year, you received a diagnosis that was absolutely earth-shattering. Talk to me about this. Well, it was close to 2015. It was actually 2018. Oh, 2018. And, you know, that's very close. Three years later. Um, it was It was after Jordan had risen to... Uh, public, a public, be, be, become a public um, public figure overnight almost. Public figure, yeah. yes, because that was really 2016, 2017. So we had gone on a tour of the States and a tour of Australia with his first book, 12 Rules. And during that tour, I was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma. And the doctors told me that this was a treatable cancer. Uh, that lots of people have it, they never die from it. It was something, I didn't have to have surgery right away. I could finish the tour and then I'd have surgery. So we finished our tour. Uh, we were in Santa Barbara. It was our last weekend. And we were heading home. And I had no idea how last weekend that would be because hmm. I went home and I had surgery on the 8th of March and it went very well. They took out half my kidney, but they biopsied, biopsied it. And six weeks, five weeks, a month maybe, a month, at least a month after my surgery, I started to get some pain in my back. And they uh, looked at my results more seriously and realized that there was the hint of something called a Bellini tumor. Uh, there were cells of this type in, in the biopsy, and they called me into the hospital and uh, called myself and my husband into the hospital mm -hmm. and we sat down and he was handing me sheets of paper to sign and his hands were shaking. He that said, wasn't a good uh, sign to you, was it? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't a good sign. He said, I'm sorry, uh, we were wrong. Um, actually, what you have is a terminal cancer and there is no treatment for this type of cancer. Surgery is it because most everybody dies and we'll give you about 10 months to live 10 months to live yeah and uh let's see i was probably i guess i was about 58 years old and uh you know i i've always been a really independent person and i've tried to 
live my life right and to make good decisions. Uh, when we got married, Jordan and I took vows that we would tell the truth always. And so I, I took that seriously. But this was this was something a little bit different because I was being challenged even more. <laughs> uh, they, he told me that and I thought, you know, my mom died pretty young and turned out that her sisters, both and her brother, all died. They all died before they were 70, so, so pretty young. And uh, maybe I was going to be one of those people too. So I just decided I'm one of those people too. I want to, I want to, uh, I, we, we have to take a, uh, this is so compelling. And we have to take a quick break right now. Uh, Tammy, please stay okay. with me. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk more about this and what happened next on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. My guest is Tammy Peterson, and we will be right back. 888 This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to the program. My guest today is Tammy Peterson, and you can call in if you have a question for her, 888-914-9149. And Tammy, just before the break, you were talking to us about what was happening to you in 2018. You were diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and given 10 months to live. And while all of this is happening, Tammy... Your husband, Dr. Jordan Peterson, is rocketing to major international fame. How much stress were you guys under as a couple? Because I'm sure that this this fame, although although wonderful, came with a whole lot of challenges that maybe you guys weren't expecting, scrutiny, maybe people recognizing you guys on the street. And uh, obviously, um, he became a very controversial figure at the University of Toronto for pushing back against what he called compelled speech and, and being forced to use gender-based pronouns. He's like, I'm not going to do that. And that's really what, what kind of got him on the radar. And I, I don't know if it, at this time were, were students staking out your home or maybe fans of Dr. Peterson's and, and at the same time you're in the hospital. How did, what was going on and how did all this affect your, your marriage even? That's well, like six first... questions in one. Sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. The first, uh, the first while when he was still, because he, he taught for a semester after the compelled speech issue happened. He, he, he taught, that was in the fall, and he taught January to April. And I was kind of concerned for our house. I was mm-hmm. concerned about someone throwing a rock through our window oh, yeah. or something, you know, it seemed. But nothing like that happened. Uh, one person came by on garbage day and dumped over our garbage bins and yelled at me. And I just went outside and yelled, uh, God be with you as she <laughs> went away. <laughs> that's, that's a great, that's a great comeback. <laughs> yeah. That's about the only one you can give, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But we had, we had, uh, we had our challenges. There's no, no doubt about it. It was very hard on Jordan. Uh, he, um, you know, he lost his, uh, his career at the university. He also lost his clinical practice because he had become too mm-hmm. famous to be a clinical psychologist. It wasn't fair to them, to his clients, to be seeing someone with that much notoriety. It, you know, mm-hmm. it just it just didn't work. And luckily, he had started a business when he was at 
Harvard because when we were in Boston, I didn't have a green card, so I couldn't work. So I stayed home with my kids and we hardly had any money. We couldn't have magazine subscriptions or go out for dinner. We didn't have any money. And uh, so he took on another job. But what he did was he developed a business and that business sustained him through that time. And so although it was challenging, it didn't completely sink us. And that, that would have been very stressful. And I understand that people who are, say, right now, doctors or different people that are in professions that where their colleges can come after them as the college has come after my husband. Uh, yeah. they, if they don't, if that's their only form of, of income, then, you know, can, can they still pay their uh, mortgage? Yeah, and absolutely. Can they still put food on the table? Like, it's very, very stressful. I think my husband now knows 200 people who've been cancer, canceled. And some of those people have have been hospitalized because of it. So uh, I, be- it's I believe brutal. that the, the stress must be unbelievable. And, um, and and by the way, for people who are interested, uh, Dr. Peterson was a guest on your podcast on YouTube. It's a great episode because I, I love the way you guys interact together, and you talk about those early days at Harvard and 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 how tricky it was at, at that time and. And even even in in more recent times, uh, people who follow Dr. Peterson's career know that he's been was asked to. I don't, I'm sure he probably didn't do it in the end, but uh, of course, as you mentioned, they, they were threatening to strip his license as a psychologist if he didn't undergo media training, which is hilarious because I think he knows a little something or two about media. But having uh-huh. said that, it's um, it's no doubt a stressful time for you because, well, on the one hand, this this wonderful thing is happening. Uh, people are engaging with his ideas on an international level and he's really helping a lot of people at the same time his wife is in the hospital has been given 10 months to live and anybody who and you know this as a mom too when when someone you love is sick it's it's harder sometimes on that person than the person who is sick and yes and and how did talk to me about how how all that worked for jordan himself probably uh, had some health scares. I know he's had some health scares of his own after this, but but this probably didn't help him either. Well, it was really at the same time. So he was suffering plenty when I was sick, but we didn't make any uh, attempt to give him any m- medical attention really until I was better. Mm. So he he was he was at my bedside all the time, like mm. much of the time. You know, now and then maybe he had to go do something but mostly he was at my bedside and not just him but my sister is a nurse and his sister is a nurse and my mother-in-law they were all with me my my son and his wife they were they were all with me it, it was uh, remarkable really the uh, care and attention that my family gave and Tammy I want I want to ask you also about somebody else who was frequently at your bedside in the hospital, your friend Queenie. And I know Queenie. I've met her, Queenie. You, uh, she's a convert to Catholicism as well, your friend. How did, how did you meet her? Well, Queenie first came to our house. She was uh, in, a political, in a political atmosphere. She was trying to help with the education system that was going farther and farther in a radical way and she was trying to bring it back to the center and she and the woman she was working with came over to our house to ask for Jordan's help and 
after that, she used to leave little presents on our doorstep sometimes. And she was just very sweet, you know. We didn't know each other very well. But when I was uh, in the hospital, she came and brought me a rosary and asked me if I wanted to pray the rosary with her. And had, had you ever prayed the rosary before, Tammy? I had never prayed the rosary. But I was, you know, by the time I was in the hospital for the five weeks that I was there, in a situation where the doctors couldn't help me, uh, it was they they couldn't find what was wrong with me. Uh, she came every day. She came every morning at ten o'clock, and we prayed the rosary. So for five mm. weeks, she came wow. and stayed by my side. Yeah, it was beautiful, and she taught me to pray the rosary. So I learned how to pray the rosary, and uh, when I got out of the hospital, I just continued to pray the rosary. But there was mo- much more to it than that because. They couldn't help me in the hospital. They ended up sending me to Philadelphia. And before I left, a priest that works with Queenie, Father Nikolai, Father, Father Eric Nikolai. Nikolai. Yep. He's been a guest on the program, too. Oh, we know him very go. well, yes. Oh, he's lovely. He's lovely. He came to me. He blessed me. And he told me to pray on gratitude. And he gave me the Opus Dei Novena for the, for the for ill. The sick, but, yes. And it was... a. Uh, a nine-day prayer, and I took it with me to Philadelphia, and that was very, very nice because I really was, when I was in the hospital that five weeks, I was quite uncomfortable. I'd gone from 120 pounds down to 90 pounds, so I'd mm-hmm. lost all my weight. Uh, I wasn't, my, my, my food wasn't going into my digestive system because I had a leak in my lymph system. So all my fluids were accumulating in different, in my lower parts of my body. And they couldn't find the leak. So I was leaking away. And uh, You prayed the novena. I prayed the novena for five days. They did an intervention as soon as I got there, but they couldn't find the, they couldn't find the leak. But they told me afterwards that if I ate something with fat in it, I would see, because I had a bag that collected my fluid, mm-hmm. it would be cloudy if I ate some fat, if I still had a leak. And so the night before they were going to open me up, and, you know, the lymph system is like a spider web in your body. I, I can't even see how anybody can look at that and treat it, but <laughs> they were going to open me up, and uh, I thought, well, I better try some fat. So I ate an egg, and uh, I didn't have any of that fat in my bag of, of, of liquid. The next morning, the intern and the nurse came to me and they said, you know, you're going to have to do a food challenge because we're going to have to take you into surgery. And I said, well, I did it last night. And they asked to look at the bag and they looked at it and there was no, there was uh, nothing cloudy. And they said, oh, well, it looks like you healed on the fifth day of the novena. And that day was also my wedding anniversary, and I had told Jordan, this was in August, August 19th, I'd told Jordan in June that I would be better by, my, by our anniversary, and that day was my anniversary. That's incredible. So it was, uh, it was quite a surprise, <laughs> a good surprise, and within half an hour I was out of the hospital and on my way home. <laughs> that that is unbelievable. Did you did you connect it at this time to this novena asking for the intercession of Saint Jose Maria? Did did that kind of factor in? Like, hey, 
I wonder if this prayer thing has something to do with it. I've been praying the rosary and now this. Well, I wasn't just praying the rosary. I was very, very cold because I had no body fat. So I would be cold at night and I'd wake up and I'd pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, whenever we were, I would be sent for scans and the scans were very uncomfortable and I would pray the Lord's Prayer through the scan and the pain wouldn't really bother me at all. It would sustain me. Those prayers sustained me through all that time. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the novena was helpful. I, I wouldn't be surprised because the other, the, the, the Lord's Prayer sustained me as well. So, mm, Yeah, even though you, you couldn't really eat and your weight had dropped, I, thinking about those words of Jesus that man does not subsist on bread alone, but on every right. word that comes from the mouth of God. That's that's incredible. And, and, and Tammy, you, you've spoken about this, this illness and this life-threatening situation ultimately being a gift for you. Why? Well, when I came home to tell my son that I was going to die in 10 months, I looked at him and his look of grief back at me. I realized that he had a much deeper love for me than I had for myself. And I, the cynicism and the self-doubt, I could feel it lift off my shoulders. And at that point, I realized that all I wanted to do was, be, was as long as I had left to be of service to my son and my 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 family and my friends, mm. and it, it was a profound change at that moment. And so, by the time that Queenie came to the hospital, I was I had already decided that I was going to live my life through whatever through God's will. That's you know it was just that was that was a plan, and it's been very interesting the changes that have happened since then. You know, I I told you I was a massage therapist. I was mm-hmm. never someone who was on stage or doing anything like that. And uh, my husband has gone on world tours many (laughs) times now. And at first I just sat in the crowd, you know, before I had cancer, I just sat in the crowd, I think for 250 shows. And I listened to him. I listened to him because I hadn't, I had never interfered in his work. I had always let him work. Uh, Once his, once he went up into his office and shut the door, I, I never, I never went up there and bothered him, and uh, but I, so I didn't. Re- I didn't go to his university classes, so I I didn't know. But the, I sat in the theater for two hundred and fifty, and I listened <laughs> and I learned, and I think when I experienced these this religious experience, I had been learning about the Bible mm-hmm. through him for a whole year and a half by then. And I think that was partly what happened that day. But I was ready, you know. I mean, it, I was I was ready to get on my knees. That's all there is to it, you know. There's something between the love between a parent and a child. Uh, mm-hmm. A mother's love for a child is, uh, you know, complete. It's yeah. complete. Uh, but I didn't understand that I had to make sure that I had that, that kind of reverence for myself as well. Huh. And since I've realized that, now I get up on stage and I go out and I introduce Jordan. Before I go out on stage, I ask God for courage and strength so that I can go out there and and, uh, be the best person I can be. And I'm not afraid when I do that. I'm not afraid at all. 
And uh, I started a podcast. I never would have started a podcast. I was a, <laughs> I was a massage therapist, you know, but I love having a podcast. I love talking to people. And it's one-on-one -on -one again, so I, I like that. But it's public. And, um, and I'm getting into issues now that are important. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel that God saved me for a purpose and that I need to put my... Well, I actually prayed to God. I said, if you save my life, I promise I'll speak publicly. So here I am. I don't have any choice now. <laughs> You're doing it fearlessly and courageously. And, and you can find, by the way, Tammy Peterson's podcast on YouTube and, and check out some of the video interviews that she's done with some of the, the incredible guests that she's had on the show. What, what a compelling, gripping story about how you discovered God's love. I'm, I'm just really enjoying hearing about this. And we'll have much more with Tammy Peterson. We've got to take another quick break right now on The Kale Clark Show, but we will be right back with more. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. My guest today is Tammy Peterson. The phone number, 888-914-9149. Having a compelling conversation. And Tammy, I got to ask you this. What, one, of, one of the anecdotes in Sheila Nonata's piece about you in the Catholic Register in Toronto was that, and, and you spoke about it earlier in the program, Tammy, before you agreed to marry Jordan, he asked you if you would commit to the truth. And I had to do a double take when I read this because the article said that you spent a year reflecting on this and then you came back and ultimately said yes. Did, did, you, did you honestly keep Jordan waiting for a whole year? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, he asked me, I think he asked me to marry him three times. Three times. And I always said, well, I don't think yet. I don't think, I don't, I don't think we're ready yet. <laughs> and, uh, Are you ever really I ready think, for I don't marriage? think we were. I don't think we were, but we eventually were. Yeah, yeah. He, he said, when I had finally decided I was going to marry him, that I had been putting this off for a no, no good reason. Uh, it was time to get, get on with it. Uh, he told me, you know, if we're going to be married, you, you have to tell the truth. And I was finishing my university degree in Ottawa. He was in Montreal. So that's mm -hmm. an only a two-hour drive away. They're not too far. And so I went home to finish my degree. And when I was done, my parents came out to my graduation and drove me to Montreal. Just, and they knew Jordan, of course, because they'd known him since he was yeah, seven years old. Yeah, since you guys old. are kids, yeah. Yeah. And... and, and I, I just think it's interesting that he said, you know, hey, if we're going to be married, you've got to commit to the truth. And I see this quality in both of you. I've seen interviews with Jordan where, and I know that 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 you guys aren't necessarily in the same place right now when it comes to faith, but I, I know he's a passionate seeker after truth, obviously. I've seen him break down in interviews, and it's real, it's real emotions, not feigned at all, when he's talking about Jesus. And what, what I wanted to ask you, Tammy, is that obviously your search for truth has led you to the Catholic Church. And, and obviously, Jordan's not there with you right now, and I, I, I don't want to ask you about him beca because his journey is personal too, but, but what has it been like for you to be married to somebody who's not yet where you are when it comes to Catholicism? Well, I don't think that, you know, your kids, your husband, are anywhere in exactly the same place as 
anybody else in the family. Mm. You know, we all have our own journeys. Yeah. And what's magic about that is to be there and to witness uh, everyone's journey as well as our own. You know, yeah. so it, it so it doesn't. You know, Jordan, he's a he's an intellectual. He's got a very he's got a very uh, deep understanding of philosophy, and and now he's written a book called "We Who Wrestle with God," and it's really Bible stories and essays about what it means. Hmm. And so, this book that is coming out in March of twenty four is much more religious than any book he's written before. Yeah. yeah I, I, so, you know, he's 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 uh he's developing his faith. I'd say he's developing his faith. Yeah. You know, I guess I, we we all are for sure and and yeah. I I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to him about this one day because I I have a scripture show called The Faith Explained that that airs every day on Relevant Radio and I delve into the scriptures and I know he loves uh, uh-huh. talking about the Bible as well and and so the Jordan's on his journey, as you mentioned, children are on their own journeys too. How have your children, Michaela and Julian, how have they reacted to your newfound faith? What are their thoughts on it? Did well, it surprise Michaela, them? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, Michaela, I would, at once I was better, I went on her podcast because she asked me about my faith, my journey to faith. And uh, I would call her now and then just telling her, what that day had been like for me and what I'd learned that day because God gives you something to learn every day. And uh, she would say, no, you know, I'm not there yet, mom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was okay with me because I was just sharing what I yeah. was learning. And Jordan was very, very ill still at that time. And Michaela, I think, was very, very worried about him. And she one night decided she would pray. And so she spent the night praying and the next morning when she called we had made the changes in his care that she was concerned with and she found that occurrence surprising enough that she felt that God had intervened in her life and so Michaela has has faith for sure and she's uh, exploring that further and further and I would say, my son, you know, you see these little things people do. You know, he was on his way to hockey. He likes to play hockey. He has two <laughs> little kids. They're they're three and one. Oh, and wow. he has a business. He's a an entrepreneur. So he's busy. He's a busy guy. Uh, but he likes to play hockey and he likes to play the guitar. And these, these are these things that he does. But when you have little kids like that, it's, it's pretty busy. And he was on his way to hockey and thinking about how little time he had. And then... He paused, and a thought came to him saying, uh, you know, these little kids, they need you. And mm. like right now, this is, this is what's happening in your life right now. And he saw that as an opportunity to let go of all those expectations that he was pulling along with himself and to just devote himself to his kids. And he's been... His wife said he's just been a joy to be with ever since. So everybody's got their own journey, and uh, I'm oh. just here to witness it. <laughs> I love that. And for those listeners who don't know, 
Michaela has has quite a podcast of her own, and she's a she's a pretty well known figure. Uh, you know, kind of catching up to her dad in in that sense, and so are you, uh-huh. obviously, Tammy, with your with your podcast. You're getting going with that, and I'm going to ask you about this in in just a second. But but I, I wanted to ask you about the longevity of your marriage. You've, you've been married for more than thirty years to Jordan. What what's yeah. the secret to the success of your particular marriage? Well, telling the truth is the first success. That that breeds success because you don't and you know and, and you don't uh, don't keep things in the dark. Say what you need to say. Get it out there on the table so you can discuss it. Uh, and the other thing is, when we were first married and we had Michaela, she was our first baby, uh, Jordan felt that he was uh, had been abandoned once I was with the baby because <laughs> I was very busy. Yeah, oh, yeah. And he came to me and he said that I wasn't paying enough attention to him. And I'm sure I wasn't because I was very busy. <laughs> and uh, I suggested that we plan some dates. And he didn't think that sounded very spontaneous. So, But he, but he decided... He paused and decided <laughs> that uh, I might know something about this. So he decided he would try that. And we've had a date practice. Hmm. And, you That's know, a uh, it's a good thing. And we always we always outlined how to have a date, you know. First of all, you have to decide when you're going to have the date. And once you've decided, you have to honor that. And so say I am tired one day when he asks me if I want to have a date, then... I could say no that day, but he wants to have the date the next day. If I say yes, I have to prepare myself to make myself the best person I can. So maybe I have to have a little nap in the day to make sure that I'm not overtired for the Mm. evening. You know, have a shower. We both have a shower. His job was to tidy up the living room, fluff the pillows, light some candles, put on some music. And I would have a shower, get dressed in something nice, and we would dance. Oh, and, that's so beautiful. Yeah, and we didn't really know how to dance. We weren't very good dancers. <laughs> My dad had danced with me, and so I knew how to dance, but I didn't know how to teach Jordan to dance. Uh, we went down to Nashville to see Michaela just a few years ago, and there was a woman there <clears throat> who teaches dancing, and she decided she'd give Jordan a lesson, and she taught him how to lead. <laughs> and once he knew how to lead, then I then I could teach him all these dance moves Dance moves, you know, classical dancing, really uh, a waltzing, a waltzing dance is mostly what we do. But we have such a good time doing that. Mm. And, you know, <laughs> when we were sick and we hadn't seen each other for nearly three years, it was a very long time we were sick. When, we, when he finally came home to be with me, we were together one night and we thought, well, what should we do? Well, I don't know. Should we have a date? And we thought, now, can that happen? Because... I've changed dramatically, and you've, you're still very sick. But we knew what to do because we'd had a practice. It's like a prayer practice. We'd had mm. a practice of dating. So I knew that I had to go have a shower and put on something nice. He knew he had to light the candles and put on some music. And we danced. And we thought, oh, my goodness, it's still here. Those <laughs> things you practice are the things that come through crisis. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just... I love that story because just on, on so many levels, and it's, that's why it's so important even in our great love relationship with God to have this, this practice of, of mm-hmm. prayer, these special times together, and, and maybe you want to light a candle when you pray, maybe you don't, but, but that's what's going to get you through the crisis, the, the routines that you have and that, that practice, and, I, and I, I just think that that is an incredible 
analogy for our our faith life, but also for those of us who are married, that that is really inspirational because in in the busyness of life with everything that's going on, you have to intentionally make time for one another. And that's, that's really the foundation of the family. And thank you for sharing that story. That's a, that's a beautiful personal story. And, uh, and uh, hey, I didn't. We should see some YouTube videos of, of you got me. You have to do this on the podcast with Jordan. Cut the rug for us. Dance for a little bit. Show us, show us your moves. I think we danced at one of the theaters. We told, we showed people how to dance at one of the theaters. <laughs> oh, I, I, I absolutely. It was fun. Love it. Oh yeah, that, that that is great, great fun. And and, and la- last question, I got to ask you this: Where can people get a hold of your podcast, and and where can they find you online? Well, Tammy Peterson Podcast. That's the name of it. It's pretty yep, simple. Pretty simple. And it's on YouTube. Uh, I try to post my videos on Twitter in case YouTube doesn't mm-hmm. want to post my my uh, conversations. Then Twitter will post them. Uh, Instagram has shorts on it. So that's a good way for people to listen just a little bit and see if yeah. they're interested. Get a little taste, so yeah. That's where I you can really find like it. That. And you can find Tammy Peterson, by the way, on Twitter, which is now known, of course, as the X app, at Tammy1, the number one, Peterson. And, of course, her podcast, as she said, is on YouTube. And that's right. If, if they if they get rid of it, I'm sure Elon will make sure it will be on X. So uh, I appreciate uh, yes. this free speech that he's brought about. And, and thank you for speaking freely with me today on The Kale Clark Show. I really, really appreciate your time. God bless you. We'll be praying for you, and all of our listeners will be praying for you. On your journey, you're in RCIA now, and and the Easter Vigil will be here before you know it. So, thank mm-hmm. you so much, Tammy. Hey, you're welcome. It's been this is a highlight of my day. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, you're so kind, and and thank you very much for saying yes. I know you're a little bit under the weather, so we'll pray for a quick recovery for you, and God bless you and your good husband uh, going forward with all that God has for you. That was Tammy Peterson joining me today on the Kale Clark Show. Thank you so much for listening to the program. Share it with a friend. You can grab the podcast on any podcast provider and also on the relevant radio app. It's the free and number one Catholic mobile app. I'm Kale Clark. Jim Shaper produced today. Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. We'll be back on Monday. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.